Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and starting in verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. And the Apostle Paul writing to his son in the gospel, Timothy, and giving him instruction. And this is what he says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and having raiment, let us be therewith content. They that will be rich, in a better translation would say those that pursue riches, Not that it's something wrong with somebody having means, but it's talking about a heart condition of pursuit. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money, is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you again, and thank you for this word. Father, I know here better than anybody my inadequacy to stand and do what I do. I have no ability to stand here and minister your word. I'm completely dependent upon you for anything to come forth, for anything to happen. I am asking you to fill me with your Holy Spirit afresh and to do what I cannot do. I offer you myself as an empty vessel, and I ask you to move and to speak and to minister to hearts today. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at that one, that one line today. From verse 6, but godliness with contentment, somebody shout contentment, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Has anybody ever gone through a time in your life when you were not content? Have you ever had a time when you were content? It was okay just to sit on the front porch with a glass of tea and watch squirrels run. Everything was just okay. Contentment. We could easily call it happiness. Everybody's after happiness. People say, if I could just be happy. I don't know why my life is doing this. I don't know why it's gone this way. I don't know why they left me. I don't know why I lost the job. I don't know why the sickness came. I don't know why the tragedy befell me. I don't know. I just, if I could just be happy. 
I don't have to have a lot. I don't have to have everything. God, can I just be happy? Contentment or happiness. Now, those of you that are note takers, Lori's not here. Lori takes enough notes for everybody. But those of you that are note takers, you're probably going to want to get your pen ready. There are going to be a lot of notes that you'll want to take, a lot of thoughts that you probably want to go home and hammer them out. Happiness is not something you go and get. Happiness is something you learn. Are you with me this morning? I hope some of our shouting people, all of our shouters are not in Branson, are they? Happy. <laughs> we had enough shout for everybody. Paul's still here. Happiness is not something you go and get. It's something you learn. Contentment is not something you obtain. It's something you grow. Peace is not something that you grab it's something you cultivate and you produce. Are you with me this morning? Happiness, contentment, and peace, these are not objects that can be handed out. They are principles. They are principles that we submit to. They are principles that we conform to. Happiness Peace and contentment are learned, and they are yielded to. They are submitted to, and they are cultivated. They are not statuses to arrive at. We think if we can get in a certain position, we'll be happy. If we can get a certain car, we'll be happy. If I could have that house on that side of town, I'll be happy. If I could run with this group of friends, I'll be happy. If I can land that promotion, I'll be happy. If I could pay this off, I'll be happy. Happiness is not a status. It's a perspective. Happiness and peace and contentment. Somebody shout contentment. It is not a status, but a perspective. These things are not the rewards of having the right stuff. Peace and happiness and contentment, they are not the rewards of having all the right things. They are the product of having the right spirit. Can I get any help? They are not the product or the reward, rather, of having the right things. They are the product of having the right spirit. They are attitudes in spite of whether or not we have the things. I've met people that had all the things, and they weren't happy. Their insides were not settled. My great uncle, who's not with us anymore, he lived one of the most fantastic, when I say fantastic, I mean fantasy-like, literally, I mean it. One of the most fantastic lives. He was friends with celebrities, and he would go to Vegas, and he didn't pay for anything because he was a high roller, and he owned hotels and casinos, and new kings, and queens. I didn't know any of these people. 
I knew him a little bit. He had all the stuff. He was a great inventor. He made his fortune inventing. He, it was his idea to make signs with changeable letters. That's a great idea, huh? It was his idea to make exercise equipment that did the moving for you. That was his idea years, years ago. And my uncle was not happy. My uncle had more money than probably I will ever see. He didn't leave me any. He had all kinds of amazing things and amazing stories and had been amazing uh, places. But he was empty. And he was angry. He had all the stuff and no contentment. He had all the things and no peace. He had all the stuff and no happiness. But I've met some people that had nothing. I've met people, come on, that didn't have two dimes to rub together. I've met people that couldn't make the ends meet and couldn't even find the ends, but they said, silver and gold have I none, but what I've got, I've got Jesus. I've got treasures laid up in heaven. And they were content. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords to give. And they were content. They were content with Jesus. These are not the rewards of having things. They're the product of the right spirit. Contentment is learned. Contentment is developed. Contentment is conditioned and not by the conditions. Contentment has to be applied. Contentment is not determined by circumstance. It's determined by you. You decide if today's a good day or a bad day. Everything in the world could be going wrong, but you can be okay in the midst of it. I've met plenty of people that everything's going right, and they're still having a bad day. Because a bad day exists between your ears. A bad day is determined by you. But the psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. He didn't say, I like everything that's in the day. He said, but I'm going to be glad in the day. I'm going to rejoice in Jesus no matter what. No matter what storms come, no matter what problems come, I'm going to decide to let my joy and my peace and my happiness exist in the fact that I belong to Christ and Christ lives in me. It's an attitude. They're determined by you. Contentment is a decision. Contentment is a choice. Friends, if you are asking God for happiness, if you are asking God for peace, if you are asking God for contentment, you better know what it is you're asking for. You better understand what you're asking when you ask that kind of question for God. 
of God because God does not hand out happiness. When you say, God, I just want to be happy, he says, oh, you don't have happiness? Here's some. Rather, God leads you into happiness, and he's only got one way. And he's only got one way. And it's not with stuff. So if you ask God for happiness, you better know what you're asking for. When you ask him for these things, God does not change your circumstances. He starts changing you. You say, God, I want to be happy. He says, all right, that comes by way of a class. I'm going to lead you through some stuff and teach you how to be happy. You see, God doesn't believe in a happiness that's contingent on what you have and what you don't have. So when you ask God for happiness, you better understand who it is you're asking and the only way that he thinks happiness is. Because it's not with things. Am I talking to anybody this morning? He doesn't change your circumstances. He starts working on you. When you ask for happiness, you're asking him to change the way you think. When you ask God for happiness, you are asking him to lead your mind that you no longer agree with yourself, but that you start to agree with him, that you start to love heaven more than you love earth, that you start to love eternity more than you love temporary. Your happiness doesn't come through more toys and higher status. Your happiness comes through being broken. When you say, God, can I have happiness? He says, yes, I'll be glad to start breaking you. I'll be glad to start conforming you to my will. I'm glad you're ready to cooperate with me. Your happiness comes through being broken. Your happiness comes through accepting that life is never going to be what we expect it to be. I'm not saying that nothing ever goes the way you'd like it to. Many things do. But how many of you know that 20 years ago, what you thought life would look like in 20 years is not what life looks like right now? <laughs> Come on, Paul. Life's different. Things rarely turn out according to plan. I bet a few years before you got married, you maybe thought it would be somebody else you were married. You probably had no idea how events would turn and events would change. Happiness comes through accepting that life is not what you expected, and that's okay. It doesn't have to turn out like you think it should have in order to be right. You see, what happens is we put all of our stock and we put all of our faith and we put all of our expectancy into something we saw in a movie. And then somewhere, invisibly, we make a decision inside of ourselves, it's going to happen this way. And this is what I want. And if it doesn't happen that way, now we're fighting it internally. We're trying to work against it, and we're not satisfied because it was supposed to happen like this. But at some point... We have to say different is not bad. At some point, we have to say a different route is not a wrong route. And at some point, we have to say, I don't know the future, only God does, so I'm not going to trust in tomorrow, but I'm going to trust in the one who holds tomorrow. You see, our whole focus is always on 
things. But God's whole focus is always on faith. Our sights are always set on stuff. But God's eyes are set on us. We are concerned with now. He is concerned with forever. The thing that you're after might not give you what you think it will. The thing that you're pursuing might not produce what your brain thinks it's going to produce in your highly romanticized imagination. We're good at really romanticizing things. When I was a kid, one of my favorite Christmases is that my mom and dad got for, for Heather and I a Sega Master System. Does anybody remember a Sega Master System? Don't talk to me about a Genesis. Don't talk to me about a Dreamcast. You don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a Sega Master System. Anybody remember a Sega Master System? How many of you remember a Nintendo Entertainment System? Of course you do. Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt, all right? Well, the, the same year that the Nintendo Entertainment System was released, the Sega Master System, they came, it, it, when they first came out, they were equals. The world got to decide. Nintendo had Mario. Sega had Alex Kidd. Anybody? Alex Kidd? I didn't think so. Nintendo had Duck Hunt. Sega had Safari Hunt. I was a Sega kid. I liked the Sega better. I still like the Sega better. Sega Master System. I hope I can remember my point and why I'm telling this. Oh, I just, <laughs> I just remembered. <laughs> I, I almost lost it, and I would have just had to stop there and move on. There would have been no point to this story. <clears throat> so for many, many years, I have desired a Sega Master System. And I remember how I felt when we got that, and I remember the games that we would play. Alex Kidd in Miracle World, and they had a game, Choplifter, and had a little helicopter, and you'd go and you'd rescue these, you know, your men that were in war. And, uh, there was another game, Cloud Master, and it was a little guy rode around on a cloud shooting lightning or something. For years, I want my Sega Master System. I want one. And I ran into somebody and got to talk to him. He remembered the Sega Master System. And you can get them for like four or $500. Sometimes you can find them out there. Or you can get this new console thing that has all the same games in it for not very much money at all. But that ain't what I want. I want the console that looks like it. Are you with me? I'm talking to this guy. <clears throat> And he said, hey, he said, I have this system and this system and this system and this. He said, I got all these systems. And he said, before you go and find one and spend all of that money, he said, I have to tell you, it's not going to feel like you think that it's going to feel. He said, in your mind, you think you're going to feel all that stuff that you felt when you got it as a kid. He said, well, I thought the same thing. He said, so I got it, and I thought, well, this don't feel like it did. 
He said, this is, this is not quite how I remember it. He said, I'm not telling you you won't enjoy the games. He said, but we have a way of romanticizing what we don't have and imagining the feelings that it will bring. He said, so before you drop all that money, you might just consider getting the console that's got all your games in it. Folks, I don't know if he understood what he just wrapped up, that spiritual principle and that psychological fact that in our mind, when we set our sights on what we want, whether it's, uh, you know, young people are always begging God, you know, I, I, I want this person to be my girlfriend. I want this, but God, if you'll, just, if you'll just do this, and God, I know they're a sinner, but I'll change them. And in our mind, we create this whole scenario where no negative exists because it's not real life. The thing that you are after, the thing you are giving up your time for, the thing you're giving up your money for, the thing that you are sacrificing time spent with your family and kids who are here with you, when you get to it, it might not give you the feeling that you think it will. And God, our good father, loves you enough to protect you, protect us from our own ignorance and say, no. And say, no. God has read the back of the brochure. God has read the fine print. You know, you see a, a billboard on the highway, and it's got a great advertisement, and then you see there's a little line across the bottom. You wouldn't be able to get close enough to read that because there's more that comes with it than what they're advertising, but God has read the bottom line. Here God is protecting you from a whole bunch of stuff that you don't know comes with it, and you're choosing not to be happy because you don't have that thing. At some point, I have to submit to life. At some point, I have to submit to God. At some point, I have to submit to his will and trust him and say, I'm not going to put my happiness in a thing. I'm going to put my happiness in you, and I have you right now. I have this family around me right now. I have this church family right now. And God, I'm going to thank you for what I have right now. I'm going to be content for where I'm at if I never go anywhere else. Godly contentment is great gain. Did you ever get what you wanted and then you didn't want what you got? When will we mature from taking to trusting? When will we mature from getting to got it? When will we break the curse of the rat race in this country? When will we start treasuring time over toys? When will we accept that he who dies with the most stuff still dies? When will we quit majoring on minors and stuff that doesn't actually matter and start living instead for eternity. I'm afraid there are too many people sitting in churches that don't actually love God. They just love help. I'm meddling now. 
I'm afraid there are too many people that are not passionately in love with the heart of God and who he is, and they only stop in to get his assistance. They want what he can do, but they don't want him. They want his hand, but they don't want his heart. A while back, you remember the big snow we got? And we had some real cold over this winter where it stayed like, you know, 10 or something. And the kids and I had decided to go out and play in the snow. And we were layered up like Randy on Christmas Story. Layered up. (laughs) And we were pretty warm. Now, Stanley wanted to go out with us. Do we have that picture of Stanley? I I don't know if you were able to. There he is, ladies and gentlemen. Pride of the Parkland, Stanley Dog. Go ahead, give him a hand. That's a good-looking beagle. He has no idea that he's on TV right now. I'll tell him when I get home. So that's Stan. You can leave him up there for a little bit. So Stan wanted to go out and play in the snow. Now, Stan's not bundled up like we are, and he hates his coat. that We got, we got him a little coat. He doesn't like it. So we would keep Stan out for about 20 minutes, and then I would make him go in the house for about 10 minutes so he could warm up, and then we would bring him back out. Now, he doesn't get too cold because he runs around like crazy. You know, he's okay. He's a dog. Some people think dogs are people. They're dogs. They're dogs. I love him, but he's a dog. But I would check his paws because if they would ice up, they, you know, they'll, they'll crack and bleed a little bit, and I'm checking on him. And at one point, Stan is outside with us, and he's not running around. And I look over, and he is literally trembling. He's cold, and he's just looking at me. He's just looking at me. I said, you want to go in? He just stays. I said, come on, Stan, let's go in for a little while. So I walk into the door, and, I mean, he's telling me how cold he is. They're not people, but they do talk. And I open the door, and he steps in, and then I turn around. Stan runs out through the door. He goes right back into the snow with me. And he's so cold that he can't even do anything. I said, Stan, you got to go in. I took him over there. He's waiting at the door. He wants to come. He's hurting. He's uncomfortable. But if I'm not going in the house, he doesn't want to go in the house. That's one little Stan story. Keep that in your mind for a minute. Deacon at Christmas... Uh, Glenda got Deacon a little drone that you drive with your cell phone. And it's got a, a, you know, a video camera on it. You can see the video on your phone while you're flying this thing around. Stan hates it. He doesn't like the drone. He's terrified. So we go outside. The drone lifts off. Stan's freaking out. 
I'm walking as close to the drone as possible as we figure it out, trying to keep, kind of keep track of it, this and that. Stan stays right here. And he's shaking. Anytime there's fireworks, anytime there's a gunshot, anytime there's anything, he, he just, his body just shakes. I said, Stan, you're scared of the drone. Why don't you go away from the drone? He stays right here. He stays right with the drone. Scared. If I'm walking with the drone, he's going to walk with the drone. Scared. But he's doing it. Now, here's the most extreme. Stan hates fire. Monk and myself, we were burning this big pile of stuff, some boards and scrap and different some trash and stuff, burning this big pile. There was a lot to burn, hours and hours and hours and hours worth. And I'm blowing the fire with my leaf blower, mostly because that's fun, <laughs> you know. But it does get the job done. It just roars and turns white, you know. I'm pushing the fire. Stan is terrified more than anything else in his life of this fire. And he won't even back up. Stan will not get, Daniel, you're way ahead of me. Stan will not back up from the fire. It's right here. If I'm close to the fire, Stan's close to the fire. If I walk away from the fire, Stan walks away. He got hot. He got scared. He didn't like it. But he refused. Nick's ahead of me too. He refused to get away from the fire. He stayed right there. Because he was with me. You see, this little dog has taught me so much about faith because he'd rather go through the fire with me than be comfortable without me. You missed a good place to shout. I'll say it again. You all can tear chairs out of the floor. We want to replace them anyway. I said he'd rather go through the fire with me than be comfortable without me. When will I learn the same thing? When will I figure out the same thing? You know what? I have come to a place in my life. You do this when you've been living for a little bit. You do this when you've been through some heartbreak. You do this when you've been through some tight times. You do this when you learn what the real blessing is. And I'm in a place in my life that I'd rather go through the scary stuff with God than do the easy stuff without him. I'd rather do God's difficult plan than my comfy plan because he's there. We've got it all backwards. We keep asking God to make us comfy instead of asking to be where he is. God's not in everything that we want to do. God's not in everything that makes us feel safe. God's not in all the things where we feel unthreatened. God is in the hard stuff. You know, the Bible says that the devil comes as an angel of light. Yet, yeah, well, sometimes the devil looks like something good, 
And sometimes God looks like something scary. But I'd rather be with God looking scary than the devil looking good. Amen? Until we come to a place that we'd rather be uncomfortable where he is instead of comfortable without his will, we will never know what real contentment is. We will never know what real peace is. We will never know satisfaction. We will never know wholeness. The Apostle Paul had it figured out after a few shipwrecks and after being beaten and after being left for dead and after going through all of these things. And he wrote to the Philippian church, chapter 4, we find it, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state that I am, therewith to be content. Come on, somebody. He said, if things are good, if things are bad, if, I, if I've got a little jingle in my pocket or if I've got none, I'm going to be okay on my hard days and on my easy days. Come hell or high water, I'm okay. Because I found my contentment in Jesus. Reminds me of Ruth and Naomi. You love all these great heroes, patriarchs, and matriarchs of the faith. And Naomi and her husband moving to another place. And her sons with their wives, Ruth and Orpah, not Oprah, but Orpah, moved as well. So now the girls, these daughters-in-law, are now in a foreign land. They're away from their family. They're away from their friends. They're away from their circle. They're away from everything comfortable and everything that they knew. Sometimes it's scary to be away from home. Sometimes it's scary to be the only person you know in a foreign place and your family a thousand miles away. But that's where they were. And then Naomi's husband dies. Ruth's husband dies. Orpah's husband dies. Well, now Ruth has no connection to Naomi other than I was married to your son, who's now gone. The link that connected them is gone. Ruth's own family is back home somewhere. She has no family here, and there's no man. There's no provider. And Naomi, feeling for Ruth's situation, knows that it's the right thing to do. Tell this girl to go home. Tell this girl to go back to mom and dad. Tell her to go back to brothers and sisters. Tell her to go back to her hometown. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For where you go, man, the Holy Ghost is going to hit somebody with this right in the chest when I say it. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. 
Your people will be my people and your God will be my, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house this morning. He said, she said, your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. Where you're buried, I'll be buried. The Lord do so to me and more. If aught but death part thee from me. Ruth said, no, no, Naomi. You have lost your husband, and you have lost your sons. We may not be blood, but we are family, and I will not leave you. My heart is intertwined with your heart. I'm not going to go back home. I'm going to stay right here. Naomi, if you're staying, I'm staying. If you're moving, I'm moving. Your family is my people. I'm pledging myself to be here with you. It's the plan of God. And Ruth rejected familiar comfort for God's best. You know, if Rose was here, she'd be standing up right there, jumping up and down and screaming. I just imagine it in my brain. Reminds me of Elisha and Elijah. Some of my favorite people in Scripture to study. Eli, Jah, or really Yah, we'll say Jah, though, because we're here in the Midwest. Eli, Jah, Eli, Shah. Eli, Shah is the successor of Eli, Jah. Eli, Jah, Eli means father. It can very, very easily mean God. God the Father, in the literal, Father or God. And Jah is Jehovah. It's the redemptive name for God. It means God has relationship with us. So Eli, Jah, Father God who has relationship with us. Now Elijah... While he lived literally, he also becomes a picture, a type, and a shadow for us. Elijah is a picture of God himself. He's a picture of God. Now, Elisha, the Shah, it's the same as Yeshua, Jesus, Joshua. It means salvation or save. So, God who has relationship with us, God who saves us. God the Father desires relationship with us. God Jesus the Savior, come on, built a bridge with two beams and three nails between heaven and earth, one mediator between God and man, the God man Christ Jesus, and Jesus becomes the go between. He becomes the Shah. So we can jaw. Come on. So Elijah is a picture of God. Elisha in the, in the story is a picture of the believer. He's a picture of the believer, of us in this story. The time frame determines what they are depicting at the time. So Elisha has been following Elijah everywhere. 
Elijah is to him as God. He is the man of God. He is the prophet. He is the link to God. To be around Elijah is to be around God. To have relationship with Elijah is to have relationship with God. To be in Elijah's presence is to be in the presence of God. But it comes time that Elijah is going to leave the earth, not by dying, but God is going to send a chariot of fire, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof, and this chariot of fire is going to sweep down out of heaven and pick Elijah up in a cyclone, in a whirlwind, and he will be raptured into heaven without dying. That's what's getting ready to happen, and that's what, that's what did happen. So Elijah wants to send Elisha away from him, that Elisha can stop in a place and set up in a place to inhabit and to dwell and to live so that Elisha does not have to be there for the end of Elijah's earthly life. So Elijah tells him, you stay here. 2 Kings 2 and 1. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, you tarry here, I pray thee, because the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Anybody in here Bethel? I am Bethel. Anybody remember? Did you get your t-shirt? Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Now listen, every time Elijah got somewhere, God called him somewhere else. And every time, Elijah would say, Elisha, you stay here. And every time, Elisha would say, I'm not staying here. I'm going wherever you're going. Elisha preferred the hardships of the journey in the presence of God to the comfort of setting up and not moving forward. Amen? He was not in love with ease. He loved the presence of God. And by the way, he got the double portion. Because when Elijah went up, he dropped the mantle down, and Elisha picked up the mantle, and he wrapped it around the rod, and he struck the Jordan River, and he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And the waters parted hither and thither. And a double portion of everything that had been on Elijah's life came on Elisha. And if you look in your Bible, Elisha performed twice the miracles that Elijah had performed. He was in love with the presence of God. King David knew that the presence of God dwelled in the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark had been away. 2 Samuel 6 and 14, when the Ark came back, David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the Ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. All David cared about, get the presence back. Get the presence of God back. Get where God is moving. Get where God is. Get where I can be saturated with his presence. Get where I can feel the breath of God in my life again. Get where I can experience the touch of God again. Get where I can touch the fire of God again. I don't care what's in life if God is not in it. Get me where God is. And David danced right out of his clothes. 
King David danced with reckless abandonment before the Lord. Is anyone more concerned with who he is to us than what he can do for us? If he never does anything, he's still God. If he never does another thing, he already did too much. He sent his son to die on the cross in our place. We have no right to complain. We have no room to bicker. We have no room for grumbling or belly aching because the Lord of glory left heaven and came to earth and climbed up on a sinner's cross that I'd not have to go and you'd not have to go. And he shed his blood and he died in my place and three days later got up again, filled me with his resurrection power and sent back the Holy Ghost that I'd never be alone. That's the God that I serve. Is anybody more concerned? with who he is to us than what he can do for us. Is anyone looking more for his heart than his hand? Does anybody just love Jesus? Does anybody love Jesus without the stuff? We all crave to be loved, you know? And I know this is a silly thought and not really doctrinally sound, but you'll, you'll hear this, the, the thought that I have. I wonder if Jesus ever feels lonely. I wonder if Jesus ever says, Dad, they don't really want me. They just want what I can do. Does anybody just want Jesus no matter what? I do. If you take it all away, but I just got Jesus, I'd rather have Jesus. I've had stuff and I've been without stuff. I can deal with it. I've been in the will of God and I've been out of the will of God. I can't deal with it. I need Jesus. I need his presence at work in my life. I understand that I'm saved. I understand he's always indwelling me. I understand that when I mess up, I, I understand he hasn't left me. That's not what I'm talking about. I've got to be in the place of the manifest presence of God because I'm in the center of his will, and I realize his assistance. I realize that he's there. I just want to be with Jesus. I'd love to buy any car off the lot. I'd love to pick out any house, which who can do that right now? But I'll tell you this. More than I want anything in my life, John, is that one day I'm going to look into the eyes of Jesus. One day, my faith is going to become sight and everything that I believed that I could not see is going to be manifested in reality as the one that died for me is standing before me and I fall at his feet. And I'll say it was worth it all. It was worth what I had or I didn't have. It's worth what I lost. It's worth who left me. It's worth every heartbreak. It's worth it all. I just want to see Jesus. This is what my life is about. This is what makes my heart 
be. This is my passion. I love Jesus. And I need him more than I need anything else. And this is why I'm completely out of my mind when it comes and why I harp on it constantly that we must win souls because this is all that matters. Nothing else matters. I know, I know there's stuff that matters, but nothing else matters. We have to win souls that somebody else will come to know Jesus, that somebody else will escape eternal death because, friend, nobody's going to heaven without him. I don't care what this world says. I don't care what any religion says. All roads do not lead to God. There is only one road, and it's a blood-stained cross. There's only one name, and it's the name of Jesus. Without Jesus, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We have to win people, win the lost at every cost. Why isn't this room full? Why are there seats left? Why is there any space left? Why do we fit in this building? If we would absolutely give our life over to knowing Christ and making him known, all the miracles that we would see in lives, I don't want to use him to get more presents. I want his presence. Genesis 15. God told Abram, I got to find Kleenex, I'm sorry. Genesis 15 and 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Now listen, I don't know if you read the rest of the story, but Abraham had it going on. One of the richest men in all of history, maybe only Solomon greater. But with all the riches and with all the land, and with all the animals, and with all the stuff, none of that was his reward. God said, Abram, I'm your reward. God himself is the reward. God, him, to know Jesus. Oh, to know him. In the power of his resurrection, Paul said, I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with having stuff, but there's a big problem with stuff having you. And most of us have that problem. We can change our lives instantly by choosing to be satisfied in Jesus. The feeling we think we'll get when we finally get all the stuff, it's a trick. You'll do all of it and still realize that you have to find contentment and that you only find it in Jesus. I've got just a couple things left I want to read. I've got a verse here, and I can't remember why I put it. Hold on, let me find my point. 
1 Kings 3. I remember where I'm at. 1 Kings 3 and 9. It's where God comes to Solomon. And he tells Solomon, ask me for anything. If God came to you and said, ask me for anything. Well, you'd probably get out your Santa Claus list and say, oh, I got some stuff, but not Solomon. He said, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? Everything he could have asked for. He said, give me wisdom so I can lead your people right. Verse 11. God said unto him, because thou hast asked this thing and has not asked for long life, neither have you asked for riches for yourself, neither did you ask for the life of your enemies, but you asked for understanding to discern judgment. Because of that, Behold, I have done according to your words. I've given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like you. And I've also given you that which you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like you all thy days." Solomon, what do you want? Just want you. Solomon, I'll give you anything. All right, God, I'll take a whole bunch of you. I want your heart. I want to think right like you, and I want to do the people right like you. Brother Craig, if you'll come. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Stand with me. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River. River.